Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast with Dr. Kelsey. She's one of the chiropractors at Forest Acres um, for Columbia Family Chiropractic. We talked about all things pediatric care, babies, pallets of the mouth, testosterone, fertility. Uh, you're going to want to hear all of this stuff. It, it's, it gets a little bit in the weeds talking about um, all the details, but if you have um, someone in your life you know is dealing with fertility issues or sinus issues or skull issues or their child has an issue, we talk about autism, we talk about ADHD, um, all the way across the spectrum. So we appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Here for the Health of It podcast. Great to have you. I'm Dr. Randy. I'm here with Dr. Tom. Everybody who's been following us um, on social media or on our Instagram or giving us reviews, we see that. We appreciate that. Thank you. And we have Dr. Kelsey here today. She is the lead adjusting doctor at Columbia Family Chiropractic Forest Acres location. Tons of experience. Comes from North or was practicing in North Carolina. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So you have a ton of experience in the chiropractic world dealing with children, in the pediatric population, autism, learning disabilities. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the, I guess, courses and continuing education? Because I think a lot of people don't know how much continuing education there is for chiropractors when it comes to this area. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a member of the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, ICPA for short. Um, I'm going to say that a lot. So Basically, there is just a ton of courses. I want to say they have four different tracks that you can follow now, um, prenatal, perinatal, like pediatric. There's a ton of courses. And then the ones that I'm working through, I've only taken about six of the 40-plus courses that are available. Wow. And even in that short amount of – short number of courses, it's not a short amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> I have learned just a ton. And one of the – best things that I've learned is how to better take care of kids that are dealing with autism, ADD, ADHD. He loves to do that. He didn't say it, but he loves to do that. I, she didn't even need to. I just did it out of habit. I just moved the microphone closer to her. I thought everything was going good. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into this? So it actually started when I was working in Charlotte, uh, the clinic that I was working with it is a very family-based practice and it was just like bring your kids in bring all your kids in i want to help kids and I, I started out and i was like i really like working with athletes i am an athlete i like to weightlift you know like i'm not sure i'm the best person for this and then i started seeing all the changes that were being made and how helpful it was for these kids and i just fell in love with it and it, my favorite thing in the world is taking care of kids because for i mean for a number of reasons number 1 it, a child's brain grows more than 240% in their first two years of life. So all the neurological groundwork that is laid in the first two years sets them up for life. So why wouldn't we have it the best it could possibly be yeah. by making them clear of subluxation? And then, you know, seeing kids that are struggling with autism. I mean, we had a 10 year, he started when he was about seven, but he was a 10 and 11 year old. And he would come into the office and you could tell when he was consistent with his care, when mom would bring him in, and you could tell when they took a break. So when he would come in and was consistent, you could talk to him and he was social and he was actually interacting with people. 
And when they had to take a break for a little bit, he came in one day and there was a plant sitting on the front desk and he just came in, picked it up and threw it. That is the level that we saw on a daily basis. And it's also a level that we got to help with. Mm -hmm. And with kids, it's so simple. You know, it's most of the time is sustained contact. So we find the spot that needs to be released and we just hold it. Yeah. Very, very gentle pressure. It's way different than adjusting an adult. And uh, I think a lot of people don't know that. Right. They Mm -hmm. see those horrible videos on TikTok and they're like, oh my God, I can't take my kid to a chiropractor. Yes, you can. It's nothing like that. They show like, they show like, uh, chiropractors or fake chiropractors like ripping dolls heads off <laughs> like baby dolls heads off it's like yeah bring your kids in to get checked that awful or like having a bag of chicks chips yes and just jump on it yeah. yes <laughs> and the, the weird thing about tiktok and instagram is people can pretend to be chiropractors that aren't chiropractors yeah. so half the time i see it they're either someone that, that i know who's more interested in just being like quote unquote tiktok famous than actually taking care of people and then there's other ones that I look at and I'm like, I don't think that person actually is a chiropractor. I think they're just <laughs> pretending to be one on Instagram. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All for the views, right? Yeah. So I, I love staying on this topic of autism and, and just to kind of like, I like giving the audience a holistic viewpoint of maybe even talk about um, what do you think causes a lot of it? And, you know, you can go down multiple different avenues that we're open to talk about anything because- <laughs> We're allowed to do whatever we want on this show. Um, But I think it's important to just continue to reiterate and give listeners that there are things that are out there. It's not just random in from the holistic point of view. Like it's not just bad luck necessarily. Right. Right. What and and like kind of talk through some of those things or or that you've seen over the years. Yeah. So one of the biggest things um, and actually, if I can, I'm just going to start with some statistics. Yes. So in 1980, rates of autism in the U.S. were 1 in 10,000. Never see it, yeah. In 2018, it was 1 in 68. And I checked the CDC website about a month ago. It's 1 in 32. 1 in 32 kids. Yes. I mean, that's like one a classroom almost. Right. Exactly. That's what I was thinking back there. When I was growing up, I didn't have a single person with autism in my class. Maybe one in – yeah, I had had 170 kids. I think we had one. I, there was one kid that had ADHD. And you're a like grade level 55 below years old. I'm a little younger than you, so <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but it's wild to think about. And like, yeah, like one child in every classroom. And it's almost to the point where they're normalizing it. It's like, oh, that person has autism. Let's, you know, yes, we need to help them sure. and everything. But it's almost like it's being normalized. Right. Um, well, one in 32, that's 3% of the population. It's wild. Yeah. 3% of kids. And... You know, to your point, like what is actually causing it? The number one thing that I saw previously was a very, very high rate of autism in Indian populations. Indian as in like West Indian, Native American Indian? West Indian. West Indian. Because what would happen is these families would immigrate to the U.S. and they had to be up to date on all of their shots. And when they got here, and then it was like all of a sudden. Interesting. They had autism. So there's definitely correlation there. And I think that's what people don't like to talk about is that there is the causation correlation sort of thing. At the bare minimum, we're going to talk about correlated stuff. I mean, period. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's, and, and I don't ever get hung up on like, yep, you did this vaccine. That's what caused it. It's more, 
that contributed to it is always my thing. Like that and, 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 and right. is what we're looking at. And if we can just keep identifying the ands and just go, all right, well, let's, let's try to minimize and get rid of those. And now all of a sudden, let's take a look at people that let's, and let's also study people that have minimized or eliminated those and look at rates. And that's what we want to, that's why we're doing shows like this is to train and teach patients that there, that there are other options. And I think that that is, it's interesting in, in your work that you saw that, cause I've, I've never, I've never heard of that or thought of that, but that gives you a very quick, um, way to show some sort of correlation with shots and autism. And my explanation with patients, I used to teach um, um, classes on toxicity and, and childhood disease and different things. And I would just explain it like this because the, the common thing is, well, I was vaccinated and I don't have autism, right? Or I had shots. I had, I'm up to date on all my shots. I'm not autistic. And it always frustrated me. It was like, yeah, and I get it. Good. You know, you're lucky. That's great. But here's what we're looking at is we all start with a bucket is the theory or the the way to think of it and and think of it as a toxicity bucket. If you started with a low level of toxicity in your bucket, the overflow point, let's call that autism, you may be able to tolerate a significant amount more of exposure to toxins or things that that inflame your nervous system, whatever whether that's subluxation, whether that's dietary things, whether that's environmental things or whether that's injected things. Um but the kid who started with his bucket generally filled to the brim and then gets injected with something, that to the parent is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's why it's not like, it's like, great, you may have been able to tolerate a level of toxicity, but others aren't. And we don't know what your level is going to be, but we want to start with pregnant moms, which is also something that I know you're, you're super passionate about. And if, heck, forget that, trying to get pregnant women. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Fertility. And I know there's a lot of different things we want to go down uh, um, on this. Anything else in the cause world, though, before before we jump to other topics on, like, I know that shots are always the big thing that people want to avoid because their doctors are trying to tell them they have to do it for school or they have to do it for this, which is, again, BS, and come to one of our clinics and we'll walk you through the process of how you can get around that. Um, but anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. So... And you talked about like, how did they get to that point where all of a sudden, like it's a shot that puts them overboard, mm-hmm. right? But to that point, we did not have the same amount of shots that kids right. are getting now. Yep. It yep. is almost tripled yeah, from when I was a threshold, kid. yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's that aspect. And then how did that bucket fill up to begin with if we just start with the birth process alone? Mm. Right. <laughs> and I always talk about it, you know, you think about back in the day, Women would give birth in a nice squatted position, working with gravity, allows yes. that pelvis. Upright. Yeah, yeah, allows the pelvis to open and expand properly. And then somewhere along the way, I always joke, some man came along. <laughs> and it, I know would, it was you a would man. say that. Well, I, what woman would do that to herself? <laughs> they say, hey, it's really uncomfortable for me to get down there. So I'm gonna lay right. on your back so I can see easier. Yep. It's not easier for mom at all. And then on top of that, like how long was mom in labor? Baby was in labor just as long. Yeah. What was that birth like? You know, did they get pulled out? Was it an assisted birth? Were there instruments used? Was it a C-section where baby doesn't actually pass through the birth canal, which can affect their health long-term anyways? Um, Yes. So starting there, 
That was, yeah, that when we were having our kids, um, my wife was really big on not having anyone and myself not having anyone yanking their head where they're coming out. And we ended up having both home births. Um, and so both times I was right there and I knew like I was catching the baby. So I knew nobody was yanking on her head. No one was twisting her to get her out. No one was pulling on her arm or hips or, you know, anything like that. Um, but it was cool to see just how the a woman's body was made for it. Like my wife always says, women have been giving birth to children forever. And of course we need like a clean area and sanitation yeah. and things like that and, and access for emergencies. But the C-section rate is skyrocketed and it's not improving our infant mortality. It's not improving our health metrics. In fact, the U.S. is one of the worst places to have a baby for infant mortality in the industrialized world, which is crazy when you consider the amount of money that we spend on right. giving birth. Yeah. And yeah, it's one in, it's like 32%. Uh, our C-sections? Our C-section rate is about 32%, yeah. which- One in three, that's one. Yeah. massive. According to the World Health Organization, a safe rate of C-sections is between 10 and 15. So that's oh. what's considered safe. So we are not operating 10 safely. and 15%, yeah. 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 And then, you know, this is one of the things that can add to that toxic overload that we're talking yes. about with kids. A lot of women are- whether it's fear or whatever it is, they're not being properly informed. They're getting induced early yeah. or they go into labor and they're like, I can't handle this. I'm going to get an epidural. The epidural is going to slow down labor. It actually slows right. things down. So then to get things rolling again, they get Pitocin, which creates abnormally strong contractions. And that combination has actually been proven to drop baby's heart rate, which is where all these emergency C-sections are coming from. Right. Now think about all those drugs that go into mom, they're going right into baby too. Yep. And people that have gotten epidurals, they're like, oh yeah, my baby was so good like the first two weeks. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, they were still trying to get that epidural out of their system. Right. Yeah. Right. That. And even Great on the point. toxic load thing, I, this morning I shared something um, on Instagram and it was talking, it was a quote that was talking about um, one day we're going to look back and be in disgust at the idea that we would poison our food before we would eat it. Yeah. It's our, it's just normal now. We just poison our food and then yeah. we give it to people to eat or poison the plant or poison the animal and then we eat it. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't at all. And, and to that same point, it's like if you separated the two, it's like if I have a bottle of pesticides and I have an apple right here, for some reason you would eat the apple but you wouldn't drink this bottle of pesticides separately but just me dumping it on the apple, you would just still eat the apple. Like it's a weird thing if you just separate out like, yep, this is poison and this is real food. And separately I wouldn't eat them, but together I will. It's wild. Yeah. And it's labeling too. It's insane that something has to be labeled organic. To be, It should be the opposite way where all the food is organic and if there's pesticides on it, it says sprayed it as a sticker that says sprayed with pesticides not says organic on it right yeah 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 no it's wild so to continue on the causes you were saying so the birthing process which i think you're heading down the route of the way women are positioned which i agree with you i used to i used to tell women too which is always it's always hard like for us men to talk about birth it was exhausting, right? It was, was no, it exa I, I, I was, was exhausted. I was tired. We <laughs> I was two. sore for I've three days. I've had two. He's had oh two. Oh, my gosh. Um, God bless your wife. So, <laughs> so we get it from that standpoint. But my, well, do you know what the hardest part when we had a home birth was <laughs> filling up the 
tub to the right level and temperature. <laughs> Have I told you this? No. We had so with our first one, I, I, um, she came seven days early. So I'm scrambling. We had two different tubs because I was still. I had planned that the next day I was going to fill up the tubs, figure out which one is best. Filled up, filled up the first tub. It broke all the water dumped all over our floor and meanwhile like (laughs) allison's in there just having like contraction after contraction i was like all right i gotta fill this other one you're like i'm so So, stressed out uh, i'm like like, just slow down for a minute and then (laughs) so i'm cleaning it up i get the other tub but then by the time i'm filling it up we're out of hot water so i'm boiling water on the stove and i call my neighbor and i say i just need you to boil every pot of water or every every pot that you have and bring it over so there she's in the room and we're dumping boiling water to get it to to normal temperature were the neighbors going in the room with her dumping the water so it was so the tub was set up in our living room and then she was in the bedroom It would have been amazing if random people or just your name. I mean, rolling you knew, in. I mean we knew in. yeah, we hey, knew them fairly well. Hey, hang in there. <laughs> like they're, they're like, this is a weird experience. I mean, they loved whole our neighbors loved like the whole home birth stuff and natural stuff. So they were into it. But That's awesome. it, people don't talk about that enough. How no. hard it is for the guy. <laughs> yeah, we're and we'll do a, we need to do a whole show on that. Um but yeah, I would I would explain to to women too, it's like what you were saying, like the giving birth upright just makes sense or, or in a squatting position because that's how you go to the bathroom. That was the way I, I was like, I'm not laying on my back to go poo-poo. <laughs> right. So because of gravity, right? Yeah. And the pelvis opens, the squatty potties and all the things that you're like, oh, wow, the squatting position increases the space to get something out of my body. And laying on your back like pinches everything together. <laughs> it does, yeah. And, you know, some yeah. people will be side-lying. Oh. Oh, What's he Whoa, got? Brett brought something weird up here. <laughs> What's he put? Some on the scholars screen? claim the French king Louis the uh, I don't know what that is. That's the fourteenth. Fourteenth enjoyed watching women give wow. birth and found his view obstructed on the birth stool, so encouraged the use of lying down position. Wow! The earliest printed textbook for midwives. What a pervert! A woman gives birth <laughs> on a chair. <laughs> Dude, kings could just do whatever they wanted. I mean, that's weird. That is so, that is, and it's gross. I would, that's like the last, if you ask me like, what do you want to watch? That would be nowhere near, <laughs> that would be close to the bottom. This, oh, yeah. Oh gosh. I'm not into that. Yeah, blood. I guess, I guess maybe I'm a little weird. I, you know, for that Webster certification, we watched a ton of mm. birth videos. Yeah. yeah I, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, we're going to go on a lot of tangents, obviously. Go on with the upright position and cause like so other causes and that kind of thing. All right. So beyond yeah, upright position. Beyond that, we're talking like what happens right away when they're born? Are they clear of subluxation? And what right. can we do to help with that? And let's define okay. that for patients because yeah. or people listening, because some people don't know what subluxation is a fancy word, you know, fancy medical word. Uh the simplest way. Mm-hmm. Mis- Give them simple. Misalignment of the spinal bone what it does is affects neurological function. So you have all these nerves that come out of your spine. That is your nervous system. It controls every function of your body. When those bones are misaligned, it will put pressure on these nerves and impair that function or decrease the signals being sent to and from the brain. Yeah. This is where like the most common subluxation that a baby might have is the atlas bone, very top bone of your neck, most important bone in the body because Mm -hmm. your brainstem passes directly through it. Um, well, and if your pelvis is 
rotated or twisted. Imagine yeah. a baby trying to come out of a rotated or twisted yeah. pelvis. So, and that's a part of it too. You know, during that birth process, baby actually has to corkscrew down to engage the pelvis and be able to come out of the birth canal. And like, let's say their position is not ideal, then baby's got to move a whole bunch before they can actually get in the right position. Yes. So that's where Webster technique comes into play and creating enough space for baby to move around and get into the proper position. Yes. And Webster technique is a safe, gentle way to help turn a baby it's, that people don't know about. So it is designed to balance the bones, muscles, and ligaments of the pelvis. If baby turns, awesome. It's kind of the bonus, yeah. But yeah. it happens like it happens 70, 80% of the time. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very it's, high percentage. Um, but Because there are other factors, but that's yeah. a massive percentage to be like, all right, yeah, I want to, if, if you're struggling to turn a baby, go to a chiropractor that's Webster certified. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Spinning Baby's website. Spinningbabies.com. Spinningbabies.com. Oh, God. Yep. That feels oh, like, that doesn't, that seems like, like a, a trap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I remember my first probably two years in practice. Um, I was in Winnipeg, Canada, and there was this big Hutterite population, which is like men. Do you guys know what Hutterites are here? No, but like Amish. It's like, yeah, Amish, Mennonite. Okay. Um, and they would come in in bands. There'd be like 15 or 20, and they would just all roll in and they would get adjusted. Uh, but they would they would come in and they would drive an hour and a half and they'd say the baby's not turned you gotta you gotta help so I would just go through just do the points and all the things yeah uh, and then I w- and then you don't hear from them for <laughs> a week or two weeks or three weeks and then eventually someone would come back in I'd be like what happened they're like oh no the baby just spun the next day and they had her it was fine I'm yeah like, oh okay <laughs> thanks okay. for the update <laughs> but it was wild it was wild That's how really effective cool. it was i i was even shocked because i at that time i didn't have any kids and i'd never done it before but then having the feedback from them being like oh yeah it works it was great yeah and very safe very gentle it's pressure points trigger points it's almost like trigger point therapy but not as intense <laughs> yep um and yeah it works so quickly i had somebody um and it works for a lot of different things. Yes, we can turn, like babies will turn in that situation. Mm-hmm. But also when it's time for labor, it can help the process of labor and yes. get it rolling and keep it rolling. I actually had a mom come in and it, she's a first time mom. And she didn't know that she was in active labor. She got, oh. she, I got her adjusted and she goes to stand up. She goes, oh, I got to sit down. I'm like, I'm like, how dilated mm-hmm. are you? <laughs> Wow. She ended up having the baby the next day, wow. the next okay. morning. Like it was less than 12 hours later. Dang. It was really cold. Nice. I don't know. How could you not know that you're in labor? Have you ever seen those shows? <laughs> there? I think my, my mom like, called it a toilet baby where they just yeah, have a yeah, baby. Yeah. They're like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom and they have a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we can go down. It doesn't make sense to me. If you, I mean, well, have you ever crapped yourself? <laughs> And I mean, when I was like one. Yeah, you just maybe you just didn't know. <laughs> you just didn't know you had to go. If you knew the cramps that some women experience, you would understand how that could yeah. happen. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're oh, walking around with a lot that of makes pain, sense. cramps, yep, yes, you're already in so much pain. It's just like, another day. Yeah, whole nother. That right makes sense. Home. Yeah. So, and with I want to keep talking on these interventions. So, like C-section and forceps and vacuum, because uh, I think. The population tends to think like it's a newborn baby. What business does a chiropractor need? Like there's no reason a newborn should go to a chiropractor is is the myth, if you will. Yeah. But then when you like, I just sometimes will say like, all right, do you have a, like how old's your youngest kid? And I got one years old or two years old. 
They're like, all right, let me lay them on their back. You hold their feet. I'm going to pull their head as hard as I can and twist it. Would you let me do that? And they're like, no. Yeah. And that's a one or two-year-old. I was like, how about a newborn? Would you hand me a newborn? You grab the legs of a newborn. I'm going to pull with 90 pounds of force, turn its head as much as I can, maybe grab it by an arm and just kind of pull it out. Would you let me? It's like, absolutely not. But that's birth. And yeah. C-section isn't, and you might know some of the statistics on that. Like people think like, no, they didn't use forceps. They didn't use a vacuum, which most people are already realizing like, yeah, that was aggressive and what they want it. Like they want to get somebody checked. Um, but sometimes you're like, no, they just, we did a C-section. It was kind of just out and they don't, just don't know how the baby came out. But I was seeing right. that it was even more forced sometimes depending on how yeah. contorted the baby is in there. Well, and the, I think part of the understanding is the incision that they make for a C-section is actually relatively small. Yeah. So they're going in there digging and whatever they grab first, that's what they're pulling out. So a lot of infant fractures are from C-sections and it's of lung bones. So Dang. like the leg bone or the arm bone because they're grabbing the first thing that they can. And I've also seen videos where they, you know, the baby, the head comes out yeah, and they grab that baby by the head and they rock it back and forth to get the shoulders out. Yes. And then they lift them up by the head. Yes. It's like, are you kidding? Right. And then they're like, oh, here, congratulations, mom and dad, as a girl. Be very careful of the head and neck. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's just not thought about. And that, and why we talk about it, and, and again, and, and I don't want to make any women or people that, that have gone through some pretty traumatic stuff too, to feel like, oh my gosh, this was, um, you know, you're, you're, you're telling my story in a sense. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough story. We, we say this for people to know there are options. Like if this did happen, you got to get to Dr. Kelsey's clinic and go through just to get your kids checked, get yourself checked because you just don't know how much that changes history for both you and baby. And to her point, like when you're talking brain, spinal cord, nervous system, and there's interference in a newborn, and she mentioned that the brain is, you say 248%? 240. 240% growth. If there's interference in that innate intelligence is trying to create organs and coordinate all these trillions of cells to be duplicating and growing and that interference stays there, the longer that's there, the more issues that show up at one, two, five, 10, 15 years old. And then the solutions you get are from your pediat pediatrician or doctors like, oh my, you know, must be your genetics or is it running your family or must have been just born that way? And yep, here's a medication or an yeah. inhaler for or asthma formula. allergies. Yes. Yeah. And that's back to that toxic load formula versus breastfeeding. And, you know, there's a time and a place for both. I know some women have a very hard time breastfeeding. Yes. And so then they go to formula and they're trying to look for the best options or the cleanest options or what doesn't have seed oils in it. It's amazing how toxic seed oils are right. and how many seed oils are in formula. Yes. I've been really focusing on that lately. Seed and by oils? lately, I'm in like the last seven days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in general, I've always known, but I, I like hadn't, it's like, oh, like here or there. Now it's more like if I see it, I'm just avoiding it. Yeah. Like I'm, that's what I mean. The last like the 2024, I'm like, I am just really making sure if it's in there, like pass and just not bringing it in anymore. Whereas before I was like, okay, it's just one, it's one little ingredient. Uh, everything else is good. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Like it's just the more you learn about seed oils and the, and the level of inflammation and what it does to the body, it's crazy what these things are. 
Now tell people what seed oils are. Besides Sam, besides Sam Meyer, she knows um, what seed oils are. <laughs> she is. I love that I get to work with her every day. Because <laughs> she goes on a cadence too with how she, she talks about it. Yeah, she is my spirit animal. Oh my gosh. So seed oils, basically, gosh, it's like processed, over-processed oil that has been compressed down from unused parts of plants. And then they go through this bleaching and yes. you know, sanitize. And you look at these videos of it being made and it is just, it's sludge. Right, right. It's disgusting. Yeah, and it they, and it's made to sound healthy. Like I always thought vegetable oil, that just sounds good. That right. sounds like a healthy oil. That's the that's terrible. Canola oil, terrible. And 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 it comes back to what you're saying, the processing and then the temperature. So like temperatures mm -hmm. too. So even olive oil, it's great cold. There's a the smoke points something like 132 or 140 or I'm sure Brett's going to put it on the screen and but it's <laughs> well he had, a, he had a list of the main seed oils too. Yeah, so yeah. I saw that corn um can you go back to that it was corn sunflower sunflower corn, oil. sunflower that's the worst part too is that everybody's like oh sunflower oil I'm like no it's sunflower seed grape oil seed. they right. skip that part right right grape seed yeah 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 so he, the, the, he, to keep it simple for the listeners like oh my god what do I eat then uh coconut oil that would be fine um olive oil at, at cold temperatures avocado oil you can cook you can use that at high heat those are the only oils I have at my house I, I mean canola oil is the worst one by yeah. far yeah, yeah. And it's but Canadian. sunflower oil it's Canadian I, is it yeah I yeah. do I I see it's canola Canadian. fields everywhere when I go back to Canada um but I think sunflower oil is getting way more popular because everybody's realized how bad canola oil is, and then they just shifted to sunflower oil. Yeah, yeah. Used to be, but yeah. a lot of, again, it's a lot of like it's processing and temperature. Here's the deal: in the United States, just our whole food, big food and big pharma are it's just a joke. I mean, it's absolutely insane how we are poisoning the hell out of our country. And like other countries are just looking at it like, like la it's, it's laughable. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Even moving here from Canada, the number of things that are allowed here that weren't allowed in Canada is crazy. Oh yeah. And like the, um, the past, you brought up pesticides earlier. Uh, there's a lot of pesticides we use here that are banned in the U UK. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Almost they, everywhere. Almost everywhere else except here. It's wild. Yes. But yeah, they feed into each other too. So, you know, there is that aspect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, what, so with autism, to kind of um, continue down this journey of just this kind of part of the um, childhood issues, what are some of the treatments and things that, of course, we look at it from a chiropractic standpoint of like, number one, when we're talking about causes, we think, the major cause that we look at is removing interference to the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So yes, we're worried about the shots and the toxicities, but we're primarily worried about that big bucket that's filling up. The thing that's actually trying to, to get rid of that bucket and coordinate all the cells in your body is your brain, your spinal cord, your nerve. So we, I know that you would assess the autistic kid, you know, with a very thorough assessment, some x-rays to kind of really pinpoint where is the interference in the spine Anything else that you're looking at from, from your standpoint? Yeah, one of the things I learned through the ICPA was primitive reflex mm -hmm. testing. Mm -hmm. 
So reflexes that you are born with, they are designed to protect you as an infant. And then as you develop and reach your milestones, those, those reflexes are integrated, meaning they're no longer there. And a lot of times I see in autistic kids, I perform these reflexes and they are wildly present almost to a point where it's hyperactive reflexes and they'll have a very dramatic response. And yes. so number one, clear the nervous system, do the spinal adjustment. Mm -hmm. Yep. Number two, there's actually exercises that can be prescribed to help integrate those at home. So same as we give our patients exercises to do at home. It's like, you know, this is going to help you. You have to do this. Same thing with those kids. And it's, I tell people some of the exercises that I have kids do, and they're like, what, really? But like snow angels. Yeah. Um, and if you're from the South, uh, sand <laughs> angels. <know>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just as simple as dragging your arms and legs across the floor in a coordinated motion. Yeah. That will signal the brain and get both hemispheres of the brain talking to each other. Yes. Because one of the things that we see with autism is their right side of their brain is not as active as the left. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we end up stimulating the left side of the body to make sure that that crossover is happening into the right side of the brain. So it's a lot of like cross body work. Yeah, yes. Working moods. And to, to kind of like simplify for, for patients, primitive reflexes is like if it should have went away at one year old and you're still, your kid's still expressing that reflex at 13, that's a big deal. Yeah. Is there any one of them that like a, a person listening and be like, oh, I, yeah, my kid still does that and that should be gone by now. Like anything like, I remember like Babinski sign. Yeah. Yeah. Was one of them, which is. So that would be the extremely hypersensitive feet. Yes. Or like, oh yeah, my kid's just ticklish or, but look, are they flaring their toes up or are they curling them down? Right. So curling down is a normal response. Flaring them up. If you were to like normal. stroke the bottom of their foot, yep. they should curl their feet. But yep. if they flare them up or extend them up, that's a reflex that should have went away at, what's the age? At two, that one's two years two old. Two years old, yeah. Yep. So if you're 10, five, you know, three-year-old is doing that, and they may not be autistic. So this, this carries right. over into all yeah. sort of, um, whether it's ADHD and any sort of uh, childhood issue. I've had, I've actually tested some of these pre reflexes on adults, yes. depending on what I'm seeing. Um, so if somebody is hypersensitive when I touch their back, yeah. a lot of times I'll prescribe them these exercises because it's going to help calm down their nervous system. Yeah. Because especially kids with autism, because their bucket is so full, they are just, their nervous system is on fire. Yes. Like you see the memes of people like on fire. It's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Right. That's their nervous system. Right. So if we can bring that down in any way, that's that's the goal. Yeah. And it's kind of been defined to me and see if this this lines up. It's kind of like if you had, you know, a hundred different TVs on at once playing different stuff and trying to be able to like focus. And where we are, so people that don't that aren't diagnosed with autism or even ADHD is kind of in the same sort of world. Like we naturally are taking in millions of inputs all the time like our senses i'm like my butt's feeling the chair i'm looking at you i'm smelling randy there's just stuff that's happening but my brain is actually not because you smell it's because you're sniffing, you, you're sniffing, you're sniffing, you're sniffing <laughs> me earlier just leans over to get in your little ear there um but it's so much but our bodies our brain because the right and left can communicate it can focus it into like we're in this conversation Mm -hmm. And so the other inputs that are happening, they're still happening, but our, our 
brains are, are capable of that. And what you're talking about is getting those two sides of the brain communicating, which you ever, and I'm sure you're probably familiar, and I'm promise his name up, Dr. Robert Melio, I think it is, or Melillo. Melillo, yeah. He has a great like at home way to start assessing your kids, and he started the brain balance side of stuff. Yeah, but it, it sounds like a lot of what you, the, some of the work that you were doing in in um, North Carolina, and that we're trying to bring into Columbia Family Chiropractic here in Forest Acres. Yeah, and I actually had a patient um, whose mom w- utilized Melillo's work. Yeah, and I was performing the primitive <laughs> reflexes, and she was naming them. As I did them, no <laughs> I was wow. like, all right, mom, you've done your homework. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And it was really cool. And she, so she understood. And that's the thing about parents that have kids with autism. They do a lot of research. So they understand a lot of this. They already know. Um, but I was telling her, you know, and going through the whole process, I adjusted her son one time. And it, with kids too, and especially somebody in that situation, less is more. Yeah. So we would do one adjustment, one spinal bone. That's it for today. Come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Less is more. Yeah. I did one adjustment, and she came back the next day and said he ate his sandwich. It's incredible. Oh, so cool. And why that's, you know, kids with autism, the different textures, it's hard for them right. to process because right. they're already so overstimulated. They'll mm-hmm. destruct it, tear it apart. He just ate the whole sandwich and she had tears in her eyes and I was, I was like jumping up and down excited. <laughs> it was awesome. Cool. And so when you're a parent and your child has autism or ADHD or a, some sort of learning disability or whatever their diagnosis is, what's the medical world doing primarily right now? What, are, what answers are they getting from their medical doctor? Oh my gosh. There's so many medications. I, as far as I know, there is medication and occupational therapy, which occupational th- I know with one child in particular, mom had done everything, going to a nutritionist, changing their diet completely, yeah. going to an occupational therapist. The therapy helped. She's like, it, it definitely helped, but he's not quite there yet. And then she made the one change of chiropractic care, and that changed this kid. Like he is a one, he is right. normal. Like a normal cool. kid. Yeah. And I think some parents lose hope and they get lost in the medical system. Yeah. They're they're scared to go try something else because they've been let down so many different times at so many different places. Or they, they don't have the answer. They're just like, okay, their child just has this. You're just going to have to live with this. <clears throat> yes. Well, they've had hope taken away. Yeah. I think that happens a lot in the medical world. They just say, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. Learn how to deal with it. Yeah. But that's not always true. There's tons of different techniques and things coming out all the time that are helping people. Yeah. And with kids that are so, their nervous systems are on fire like that, as they continue to age and get older, there's just more stress that is added to life. That's, I mean, that's life, right? So things could potentially just keep on getting worse. And we saw that with one, with the kid that threw the plant. He was very, very strong. And it was just mom taking care of him. And he could overpower her. So then it becomes like we can literally change this entire family's life by simply adjusting somebody. Yeah. How soon do you recommend a child getting checked? As soon as possible. Yep. Have you ever been to, um, in my early days, I used to go to the hospital like right when the babies were born. Have you ever I, been? I haven't had the privilege of doing that. Um, 
they don't necessarily love us being there. No, they don't. <laughs> but um, I'm with you. Yeah. Although they don't necessarily not like it. Just depend, I, yeah. Like sometimes when I'll go in there, I'll see nurses all over that I'm already adjusting. And they're like, oh, hey, good to see you. Oh, you know, cool. like, oh, they're oh, in here. Oh, there's the handsome Dr. Kloss is here again. They, they're like, hey, can you adjust me while you're here? Oh. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. I especially C-section. I I know that was like the big at my clinic in Canada. We were right across the street from the main hospital there, so I would get phone calls from moms all the time. They'd be like, "Yep, yeah, we're planning on having a natural. It was a C-section. They used forceps. Can you come over here right away?" Um, and it's usually they usually love it. Kids do great. Kids, yeah. but they need to be adjusted right after. You can tell. Yeah. A big difference between a child who's born natural and a child who's not in their spine when you're checking it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think of kids like animals. They can't really talk. I mean, they are animals. We are animals. They can't really talk. They're not giving you feedback necessarily, right? So it's it's just literally reading their body, reading their neurology. And and that's what's amazing is like is sometimes I think people think it's like a placebo. Like you convince me my back's going to feel better. And, and it's like, well, your baby um, – couldn't latch and now it can, or your baby had reflux and it's gone. Um, we didn't tell him anything. He didn't know anything. We put pressure in on this one spot in the spine and removed interference. And that's the same thing with like people, like I'm sure people know that animals can get adjusted and do get adjusted and they're animal chiropractors. But that was always the thing with like kids. I always just thought I like chalked them into like the, it's like adjusting a cat or a dog. <laughs> <laughs> But it, but it proved to me that like, it's because they both have innate intelligence, the dogs, the cats, the, you know, the, the babies, me, you, and that's what we're working with. We're not working with like treating a symptom. We're working with identifying interference and then the body, the innate intelligence does the work. And, and that's cool to like see and hear these outcomes. And it becomes an expectation. Like it, you, we do get used to like, oh, you slept better. No way. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you you went to the bathroom? Oh, no way. It's like, yeah, of course. That's the pattern here. You're sleeping better. You're breathing better. Your heart's functioning better. You're all the, all the things. Um, I want to go down the pathway of like, let's get into some more like women care, pregnancy care, um, fertility stuff. Mm -hmm. um, kind of talk us through, like say somebody's trying to get pregnant and we know the traditional ways that that they do it. A wiener goes into a vagina and they two cells come together. <laughs> but say that's not working. Right. Then they go down the pathway of the medical route. Yeah. You know, and so, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work and that can be expensive and that can be frustrating. Before they go that expensive and kind of more risky route, what do you recommend as a chiropractor? Well, obviously, number one is getting adjusted. Yes. <laughs> Removing that interference. But then also understanding a lot. I have found that a lot of women do not actually understand how their cycles work and what happens at which time and when you need to be trying. Yes. We need to talk about that. Or I'm not having normal cycles. Well, if you're not having normal cycles, your chances of you getting pregnant are very slim because you need to be ovulating and having healthy cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So first of all, identifying subluxation, identifying cycle. Yes. Which I can, I can tell for the husbands out there, when your wife <laughs> is ovulating, you can basically do no wrong. 
She just happy to see you for no she reason. She has her hands. She likes all being over. around you. Her lips are red. Her skin is soft. Like to me, to me, it's the most obvious thing in the world. I don't even have to look at the calendar. I can just look at my wife and know exactly oh, what's it. It's go time. If you want to get pregnant, right? And then there's other if times you don't, not ovulating. You stay when, away from, yeah, oh, and there's other times when you're trip. just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I just forgot I have something for the next four days. <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate me talking about that. <laughs> but that is important. So like, and my wife uses natural cycles. It's like an app and a temperature. It just does temperature and it like gives you a full calendar. It does the whole nine that I don't think women know that like exactly what you're saying. Like there's a time frame. If you're trying to get pregnant, there is a time frame for that. And if you're not trying to get pregnant, then you know um, there's a time frame for that, if you will. Um, so that's an excellent, you know, educational piece for people. The other thing that comes to mind too is I don't think we give guys enough um, credit. Credit. Yeah, I agree. With, I, agree with, I agree with that. I don't know if credit's no, right. No, word. I was, he wasn't going to say credit. I was going to say shit right. for yeah. not getting checked themselves. So right. it always is the pressures put on the women, and that yes. we we found in the in the chiropractic world even too. Like a lot of times, it's like we start adjusting a woman and they do get pregnant, right? Um, which is awesome. But then sometimes it's like, well, where's your husband at? If if their husband's not under care, then there may be some issues there that's like, we need to get your, we need to check your husband to make sure things are working the way they're supposed to be working. Right. Yes. Yeah. I've, so I had a midwife tell me if you're having trouble getting pregnant, it's often the man. If you're mm. having trouble staying pregnant, then it's often something with the woman. So that's how they decide good, who they focus on. So you're the saying man like or the mis- woman. Miscarriages so miscarriages would be, like would be a physiological issue with the yeah, woman. Yes, but so if they're I've not getting learned, pregnant, look to the man for sure. I actually learned a little bit of the opposite, and it might be depending on the time frame, but multiple miscarriages was the big one. If you're having multiple miscarriages, then we look at dad's health because it's their oh. it's sperm that builds the placenta, and it's the placenta that's detaching, oh. causing that miscarriage. So then we start looking at dad, and there was. I had a patient who had been through six miscarriages. I'm like, why isn't your husband here? Mm-hmm. I said, you can do this all day long, but until your husband gets here, we're not going to get pregnant. It's not going to happen. Yep. Yeah, it was that's a good. very hard conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's so true. And you know, we, there's another rabbit hole. <laughs> well, and even supplements yeah. for some guys too. Yeah. I know if they're super deficient in vitamin D or coenzyme Q10, those are huge supplements for them to start taking. Absolutely. But on top of that, men's levels of testosterone these days. Holy cow. Randy's is tiny. Uh, mine is so high. <laughs> <laughs> I, most guys are trying to get higher he's testosterone. Trying I'm trying to he's trying donated. to lower it. He actually is a, a donor. <laughs> but you're right. No, you're right. And I and you're seeing that in the softness of humanity right now yeah kind of overall now greg on the other hand (laughs) holy cow that guy i don't know how how often does he get his testosterone checked he's a donor he gets his testosterone checked about once a year does he yeah he's he's got a great he's his neck is thick great (laughs) neck size um but here's the thing he's always working to make sure that it's high yeah so this is so we are i think i've told you guys before we do the carnivore diet Nice. We eat primarily meat. Mm-hmm. Yes. He lifts weights about six days a week. Heavy, too. Yep, very heavy. And does <laughs> jujitsu, 
two or three times a week, depending on the week. Yeah. So the, the competition aspect and then the heavy lifting combined with food is a big deal. Keeps for the tea high. Boosting testosterone. Yeah. I just, so this is a side tangent. I just started doing jujitsu um, in the new year. And last night I was my very first time that I was actually rolling as hard as I could with somebody. And he was bigger than me. I have to say, he was, I think he was like 35 <laughs> pounds bigger than me. Uh, but I got, it was just, you know, when you're wrestling someone as hard as you can for minutes at a time, I was so tired after, I, I don't think I breathed for three straight minutes. Yeah. And I, and the instructor had to stay at the gym for an extra 30 minutes before I was like, all right, I feel good enough to, <laughs> oh to leave. I thought I was going to have to call my wife to come pick me up. <laughs> Oh my. oh my! Well, wait. Didn't you also do? Aren't you doing some martial arts? And you told me you kicked a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, what? I did do that. I did. <laughs> well, I so I'm still I'm still brand new. Uh, so it's kickboxing is Tuesday, Thursday night, and then jujitsu is Monday, Wednesday night, and then Friday night we go do like a mixed martial arts and open mat. Yeah. And so this is probably my fourth kickboxing class, and I got paired up with this kid who's probably fifteen or sixteen. But you're not when you're just practicing moves, you're not supposed to hit someone hard. But he kept coming in with really hard elbows. <laughs> and the instructor, and he was just a kid, right? I'm, I'm like 40 year old against this 16 year old. <laughs> yeah. And, and he kept coming in. And, and the instructor came by three times and told this kid, like, you're going too hard. If he doesn't get his hand in the way, you're going to smash his jaw. Uh, so he did. And then after the instructor did the third time, then he did it again. And then the next drill was a, a leg kick, and I kicked him so hard. He was like, he was like, softer, please, softer, please. I'm like, yeah, well, quit doing that then. Sometimes you just have to teach him a lesson. So I don't know if we should edit this. Should we edit that know. out? No, that's good. I that's good. Okay. He signed a waiver, I'm sure. Right. But. And he was trying to elbow me really hard. Yeah, yeah you're, you're fine. Greg, um, I mean, Greg would be tough. Too. How much does Greg weigh? Are you allowed to disclose that? I'd guess 215. I'm saying 230? Uh, I think the last time he weighed in, he was about 250. 250. He's a big guy. Yeah. So that's what <laughs> I'm up nimble. against. Imagine, imagine me too. up against Greg. Yeah. He's, it's, <laughs> Greg would just it's impossible. Eat you. I, my arms aren't even long enough to get around his neck, even if I got in position. Plus, he has, you don't mess with a guy with thigh tattoos. Like, that's, that's true. <laughs> You know, um, we met at our Christmas party. We measured his neck, <laughs> <laughs> and then he won People's Choice, right? Yeah, almost unanimously, yeah, he, won he won People's Choice at our party. Yeah. yeah. Um. So st- see the so transition. To topic. Yeah, we yeah, just that's good. Go this is, so the cycles. Um. Yeah. If people <laughs> <laughs> cyclical. Like, see, back to cycles. <laughs> um. The so women that are dealing with like issues with their cycle. Their, their primary method is to mess with hormones or birth control. Is there anything that you know, maybe even in your personal life or like you mentioned carnivore diet or things that can help women supplementally, chiropractically, physically, whatever, with cycle issues? Because it's a, it, again, just like low T, cycle stuff is through the roof. It is. It's wild. And a lot of it, oh man, if I could... The simplest way to say this is you have to read the book Estrogeneration by Dr. Anthony J. Estrogeneration? Yes. All one word? All one word. It talks about how we are exposed to so many different chemicals in our daily lives, and it has become this toxic load, and especially on women, and it's affecting our hormones in a yeah. big, big way. Um, the number one supplement that I would recommend, oh, 
You ever heard of There's DIM? Like five. <laughs> five. Have you ever heard of DIM? DIM, I think it is. It's a long word, but they abbreviate it to DIM. I heard it like helps remove toxic estrogens. And honestly, you can do it with diet too. Yeah. And it sounds silly, but it's one raw carrot, a large, like whole organic carrot. What do you make in there? Skin on. 24 inches there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no. I've never seen a 24 inch carrot, but. but uh, <laughs> one of those a day, it helps the fiber in carrots, it helps bind really? excess estrogen, it can help remove it. And of course, it's fiber, so it's going to go out. My body's been craving carrots too, which is <laughs> yeah, weird. So weird. Has it been? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You've got like, on a part. You. I mean, you got to be heart. detoxing all oh, kinds yeah. of stuff after your fast. Yeah, for sure. There's um, <laughs> there's another book I read called The Truth About Cancer, and I read this after my own personal experience. I went to have my IUD removed. And I said, I'm done with this. I need to get my hormones balanced. I want to do this naturally. And at that appointment, I also had other work done and I found out that I actually have a tumor on my uterus. No kidding. Yeah. So then it was like, all right, what can I do? Because I know my body is capable of healing this and it's small. Like it, it creates this tumor. That's how your body protects Protects itself. Yeah. Yeah, It creates a tumor and it closes all those cells. So I read about something called Gerson therapy. Mm-hmm. Guys- mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I went through all cottage. That. It's like cottage cheese. No, coffee, no. En- coffee enemas. Coffee enemas. Yeah. Oh, organic vegetable juicing. Yeah. So I was doing for about two months straight. I did three days. It was every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Organic carrots juice. That's all I drank for three yeah. days straight, and I did that for two months, and it reset my hormones. So well, I have my cycles. I can plan. I can no time kidding. it out. I don't have symptoms. Yeah. I don't get cramps. I don't get cranky. Well, you can ask Greg, <laughs> but, <laughs> but wow. it, it just reset everything for me. And it was yeah. awesome. And See, that's, that's massive for women. Yeah. Yeah. So and say that again. It was, you did three days a week yeah. of just carrot juice. Just carrot juice. I went through a lot no of carrots. No food. No food though. Like No food. So it was a three day juice fast, just carrots. And yep. water. Yeah. And water. No coffee. I did have water. A little salt. Yep. Yeah. All right. I mean, well, (laughs) get your water. How many weeks in a row? If you're listening to this, I mean, why wouldn't every woman, if you have any sort of cycle issue, that sounds like a no-brainer. Automatic. Yeah, that was super helpful. And then the other thing was ovocytol, which is- Ovocytol. Yeah. It's branded as a fertility supplement, but it's inositol which oh. is a supplement that anybody can take. Yeah. But I found that especially women that are like, they're struggling with our cycle or something's not quite, or uh, what was the other one? Endometriosis. Yes. That was a big one. I had somebody, I was like, try it. You yeah. Know, the worst thing in the world is, you know, your sleep gets better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's like, all of a sudden she comes back and she's like, Kelsey, I'm so excited. I've been struggling so hard to lose weight. Like I'm doing everything I possibly can. This was what changed it, and now my cycles are normal again after giving birth. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool. The only women I know that have good cycles are in the chiropractic family. Yeah. It's weird. Like, my wife's cycle is to the T as well, like tracking it the whole nine. Um, but so, yeah, you talked about taking out an IUD, which I, I guess a lot of – I don't know what the percentage is on that, but I think a lot of women are using that. And I get it. So, like, 
birth control and IUDs, the plan is to not get pregnant, right? Um, but can you speak to any of the, like, the, the, how dangerous or the consequences of IUDs maybe first and then if you know anything on birth control? Yeah, I would have to look back specifically at the studies, but I want to say there's somewhere around 46% of women are currently on birth control. 46? And uh, what age does that go to? Because I've heard like six-year-olds sometimes. That's, well, it's of women that are having- Menstruating. Uh, yeah, that yeah. are menstruating. Um, and then of that, anybody that takes birth control pills, it's one in 10 are at risk of- we have cervical cancer and then breast cancer. Breast cancer, yeah. I, I knew breast cancer was way up there. Yeah. And cervical, yeah. Yeah, they say it, it helps prevent cervical cancer. It's like, okay, but then what about the breast cancer? <laughs> they say birth control helps prevent cervical, but it increases risk of breast. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, crazy. It's crazy. So an IUD yeah. is a, is it made out of copper? There is a copper one. There's other ones too that, so the copper one is promoted as a um, non-hormonal. Birth control. Okay. No idea how effective that is or if it affects hormones at all. Yeah. But if you think about it, if you are not ovulating, which is what birth control does, it prevents ovulation. Mm -hmm. You're not ovulating. You're not hormonally healthy. You are not having a healthy cycle. You have to ovulate. Right. Right. And people go on birth control for, yes, to not get pregnant. I get that. But at the same time, how I ended up on birth control I had extremely painful periods. That's, yeah, I'm seeing that more common. Yes. Yeah. And with and acne is another one that yeah. they put you on. And they're like, oh, that's not normal. We got to regulate your hormones. Here, have some birth control. Right. And then later in life, I'm like, hey, I'm still having this problem. You said that the birth control would help. And you're like, oh, that's normal. You're supposed to have cramps with your cycle. No, you're not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Never. Yeah, that's, see, that's why. I, I just had a patient a couple months ago who had an IUD. That is back to the IUD thing. Yeah. Um, but she she had all these symptoms but didn't correlate it together. And then we were trying to help her, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And then we sat down, and then I just went through her whole history. And it, all of her issues started right afterwards. And she's like, there's no way that it could be related to back pain and sciatica and trouble sleeping and all these other issues that she was having. Uh, I said, well, it, it literally started within two. You've never had these before. You got this IUD, and then it started within two weeks of getting it, and now you've had them. I think a basic first step would be like get rid of it and see if that helps you. <laughs> yeah, if you think about it, like if you think about it, your body is made to be a perfectly functioning body, right? And you put something unnatural in it, your body's going to try everything it can to get rid of it. Copper in your body doesn't seem natural. No. And then, like, when I first had the IUD put in, I had horrible cramps because my body was trying to get rid of it. It didn't want it in there as something foreign. Yeah. So it's just, it's not natural. We shouldn't be on it. It's poisoning women. And we have, because of that, we don't have our normal hormonal cycles. So women are becoming less, you know, we could say men are becoming less masculine. Yes. Women are becoming less feminine. Right. Because they're not having that. I think in chiropractic school, I don't. Do you remember that radiology class where they showed an IUD that had poked through? Yeah, and I can't remember. I think it was in the stomach or it was in the lungs. Like it was somewhere that it should not have been because it poked all the way through. Yeah, I actually had a patient that had an issue with that. Like her IUD went sideways or something, yeah. and it protruded and it started poking at her intestines. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's 
you know what else I was thinking about? Just when you mentioned x-rays, like fibroids are another thing that we're just seeing a ton of. And like, just like kind of chalk it up as like, that's just a normal. And people have sometimes the size of like a softball. Yeah. And, and it makes me like, it makes me wonder to, when you were saying like you're with birth control, if you're not cycling, like if you're not ovulating, you're not, if you're not like menstruating and getting rid of blood, like you're going against nature, God, right? So where is that? What's happening then? Like the stuff that the body was supposed to be eliminating, you know, month after month, like you're talking 12 times a year and you're doing it zero for X amount of like however many years you've been on birth control. It's like, well, what's, where is that stuff going? It's a good, I've never thought about that before. Yeah. And, and, and it's just wild to me that that just doesn't register. And I think even on the packages of some birth control, it's like you're not supposed to use it for more than like 12 months or something. I feel like somebody told me like on the label, you're supposed to use it for like a short, it's meant for like a short amount of time. And then you have to get off of it. Yeah. But that's never the case. And what they're seeing, and I still, it's probably buried or censored somewhere, but I'm trying to find this study that talks about however long you are on birth control, it has a half-life in your body. So like if I was on it for eight years, my hormones won't be balanced for four years four, four after years. I get yeah. off of it. Yes. Wow. So it's like if it has that kind of half-life, right. no wonder women are having a hard time right. getting pregnant because they stop the birth control and they're like, all right, let's go. Time to go, yeah. It's, depending on your toxic load, it's not going to happen. Gosh, that's good. And we are having a fertility coach coming on too, to the podcast. Oh, soon. really? Yeah. That'd be, yeah. I remember in chiropractic school, they taught that sperm can live inside your body for three to five days. In the woman's body? In the woman's body. <laughs> 72 <laughs> hours. 72. So well, three. average. Three. three. But you got to right, think three. some guys. Randy's. Five days. Randy's, <laughs> Randy's <laughs> knows how to camp. I always thought five <laughs> to seven days for myself. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little camper in there. He's a hunter-gatherer. Depending on your tea levels, yeah. Oh, uh, but, I, but I wanted to make that point in case someone's listening yeah. to this and they think, oh, I'm just going to get off birth control and I'm going to measure my um, temperature. You have to know when you're scheduled because there's a three-day window. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but you, knowing when you're going to ovulate and looking for that temperature spike, you can also tap, uh, test it with luteinizing hormone strips which like pee on them. Yeah. 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 So you can test it that way too and just find out and then count back. Yeah, um, Randy does that. How, what's your cycle? At? No, I don't know how to do that. I, that's the <laughs> first I've heard of the luteinizing hormone thing. Oh, what does yeah. it mean? So if you, if you pee on it and you have high luteinizing hormone. So, and there's, there's a couple different things I can go on with that, but high luteinizing hormone tells you that you were ovulating at that point. Okay. And then it, it's counting back 14 days. I have to go back and look. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you're checking when is that high? And then. So you, yeah, you'd I'm have trying to, to think. Yeah. yeah. We can, we'll figure it. We'll put yeah. it, in, hey, we'll put it in the show notes. That's, well, that, because that's always the question, right? When is it safe? <laughs> right. Well, your luteinizing right. hormone is yeah. well, and low that, now. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of those, uh, the apps too. And you can do the free versions of apps and they're actually very helpful and accurate. They provide you with a lot of information. Um, cause I just use flow and it's just to know, like, so I can plan, like if I'm going on a trip or something. Um, but it will tell you, here's your ovulation day. 
Yep. Your fertility is going to be extremely high that day, two days after, because sperm is going to survive however many days inside you. But once that egg passes, it's an all or nothing event. It either happens or it doesn't. So it's a 24 hour event. And then there are days leading up to the day of ovulation because the sperm can survive in there. Yep. And some wearables even track it. Like I know the aura yeah. ring tracks it. I don't know if there's any, does your whoop? <laughs> <laughs> You get a little temperature no, spike. No, it doesn't track my cycle. <laughs> um, is it, yeah, there's not, and there's nothing for men, right? There's no um, measurement. Like I know some guys, if they're trying to get pregnant, they'll go do like sperm count and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And what else should? Is there any other trackables that you know of? I don't. Well, I can't I mean, think of you anything. You can go like if you were to go get your sperm count, they're gonna tell you what's normal. Yep. But keep it like that's on the extremely low end versus what it actually right. should be. Right. So they consider normal as low as like two to four million, but it needs to be like 400 million yeah. to be optimal. Whoa. Dang. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're painting a wall with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so many. Um, all right. Let's get back to, um, I want to get back in a little bit of chiropractic, if you will. With babies, kids, and pregnant women, can you walk us through how, like, just so the audience understands how you would check them? Like, how would you do an exam? How would you, you know, kind of enter, like, I guess they come in and say they feel good. They're like, yeah, I'm pregnant and I want to just make sure I have a good delivery. Or uh, it's a mom that, that's been coming to you and they're like, yeah, I have a 10 year old and, and, um, should he get chiropractic care? And then it's a baby that's like, I had a newborn and I didn't know chiropractors help kids. What, why would it, my chiropractor come in? How do you check and assess them? I mean, number one thing I do is functional leg checks, neurological leg checks. So lay on the table and I'm going to check, do you have a functional short leg, which is just going to tell me, do you have a subluxation somewhere in your spine? There's a feedback system between the brain and the muscles that will contract a leg to appear short yep. if there is a subluxation compensating somewhere or your muscles are compensating. And that's a good point. I want to, before you continue, why chiropractors are like always touching feet. I think people ask that a lot. <laughs> that's why. So what, what you're looking at to be more detailed is you're just looking straight down at the feet mm -hmm. to see if the heels are matching up or equal. And then you're running a couple neurological tests to see if those heels go shorter, longer, that kind of thing. And you might touch a couple weird areas on them. Because uh, <laughs> I, I always hear you say, I'm going to touch the bone you sit on. <laughs> it's a nice way of yes. saying I'm going to touch your butt. <laughs> and yeah, and it's and, and that's normal in our world. But yes, yeah, to the yeah. patient, they're like, oh, well, she's touching my feet and my butt. Like, <laughs> what the heck is that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you do the <laughs> neurological assessments. Yep. Start there and then neurological checks and then just assessing all the way down the spine. Is there a subluxation somewhere? And that is part of the training in school, training through continuing education. How do you find a subluxation? With your hands. Yeah. You're yeah. like tracing down the spine. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good. And then um, what age would you take an x-ray? Like, so babies, we don't x-ray unless it's an extreme, extreme, extreme case where there would need to be some sort of x-ray and that would be at a special facility that we'd send them to. Um, so babies don't need x-rayed. You have, if you're checking a baby, you, is it, do you still do some sort of leg check? Yeah. There's kind of still talk a leg through check. that one. There's still a leg check. And what, what we do to kind of, if you've ever 
like kind of pulled on a baby's legs, they kind of retract back up. That's one of their reflexes, and that's totally normal. But so we just bicycle the legs a little bit, mm-hmm. flexing them and extending them and bring them down. And is there a short leg? It is still visible on babies because of their nervous system. Yeah, it's working nice. just the same. Um, and then you asked x-ray, right? Yeah, x-rays or like other things so that if mom's listening, it's like, hey, I want to get my baby checked. Like kind of what would that look like? So it's going to start with the legs. Yep. I always start with the legs. And then I'm going to ask a couple questions. The top three things, how is baby eating, sleeping, and pooping? Mm. They need to be doing all of those things every day and comfortably. Yep. So if they're straining to poop, that's a big sign that baby needs to be adjusted or yeah. at least checked. Are they spitting up? Every time they eat, that's a big red flag. Um, and then the other things that I'm going to look for, especially on a baby, what is their head shape like? Yes. And can I see any distortions? Um, like if they smile, does one side go up further than the other? Uh, look at the symmetry of their nose, of their eyes, of their ears. Is one flared out more than the other? Yeah. I, mean, I like huh. that. Eating, sleeping, and pooping. Everybody should be doing that. Yes. <laughs> I know. But, I got to start asking my adults that. Why? Yeah. Why? That should be our first question. <laughs> How are you eating, sleeping, and pooping? Uh, my back it hurts. covers a lot of bases. <laughs> I, know, I, know. <laughs> I like it, though. Now, uh, now, this is a check, too, that I think some, some chiropractors do, um, which is holding the baby upside down, which I know that can be weird for moms. It's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing with my baby? Is that something that you utilize at all? I know that some of our chiropractors do, some chiropractors don't. They have other different ways of of looking at that, but just to warn women, I guess, or moms (laughs) or dads that are bringing kids, it's like, wait, what are you doing with my baby? It depends on the situation. Um, Typically, I'll only do that if if the baby has torticollis. So in other words, their neck is cocked to one side. It seems like they're always stuck that way. They can't bring it back to the middle. If I, like, let's say mom tries to move it manually back to the other side, and they still go that way. Then the easiest thing to do for that correction is to bring them upside down very gently. So when I say gently, like we're slowly lifting the legs up and then just above. And then just let baby move. And as long as baby is not crying or fussing, we're good. Right. Oh. Yep. I did well, I did that one on both of my kids when they were yeah. born. And my oldest one held her upside down and she just kind of hung out right there. It was yeah. fine. Uh, which is a norm. That's like the normal check. But then my second one held her upside down and you could see her whole body tilt to the side, like her whole t- head, everything, put her back down, held her up again. Exact same thing. Went all the way over to that side. Um, checked her. Atlas was way out of place, adjusted her, held her back upside down. Perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. So cool. Yep. And then from that point, I mean, once you're with babies, you know, usually on the same day when you're assessing and if you find interference, you're going to start probably working on that right away. Um, sort of thing. So then when it comes to then the next level, a, a child, and there's different ages, but let's just say, a, you know, four-year-old and up, those are cases where maybe you would you would do similar sort of assessing as an adult, but then you might take some x-rays. You'd probably ask some of the similar questions. Is there anything with those type of kids? Say that they're, they're just your normal, you know, get the common cold, maybe the growing pains, get a headache here or there type of child. They're not an autistic child or anything like that, is there anything too different that you do with them? Postural assessment. And also I'm going to be looking for, for those primitive reflexes. And if I start seeing that, usually that's an indicator for me to take an x-ray. Mm-hmm. Also, I learned this a long time ago. 
And it was actually my dentist that said it. If a child is in pain, it's not normal. So, you know, like they fall down, bump their knee. It's, oh, man, that hurts. They get up and play 10 minutes later. Right. If they are consistently telling you about one spot that hurts, hurts, something's not right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's where, and especially a child in pain, we're going to dive deeper into that assessment. Right, right. Which is such a good point because some parents will know, like the kid plays sports and he injured himself, there's pain. But the parents that are like, my kid always complains that his neck's bothering him or that he gets headaches or his back or his legs hurt. And they, you know, we kind of brush it off. It's like, oh, I'm sure you, you know, overdid it or whatever. But instead of just being like, yeah, well, that's odd. We need to get that checked. And if you walked into your medical, like, it's not like they're going to take them to their medical doctor, right? right? They do the pediatrician stuff, what, once a year or every six months. So it wouldn't be urgent enough for them to be like, yeah, let's take you in for the pain. So sometimes these kids are like, yeah, no, mom, I've been dealing with this for a year. Um, and I told you about it and I told the pediatrician about it, but what they're not going to, well, hopefully not going to give a painkiller. They That's a lot right. of times just brush it off versus yeah. like coming to you to get rid of it or yeah. get to the cause and start the process of getting rid of it. Yeah. That was one thing I ran into. Um, I had a 10 year old come in. He was a gymnast. So he was doing all kinds of flips, throwing his body around and he had debilitating migraines, mm-hmm. a 10 year old. Yes. And they had been to the doctor, they had tried everything and they're like, we don't know what else to do. And I'm like, bring him in. Hello. Let's get him checked. Right. Yeah. That's wild. Also kids ages, especially kids that are active playing sports ages between nine and about 15, they, their bones are developing. Right. They're not done growing. They're not done growing. There's secondary ossification that's happening. So their other parts of the bones are growing. And if they're doing things like gymnastics, especially girls, yes, and they're in that constant hyperextension, that is actually where we start to see those um, spinal fractures yes. that are called stable fractures. That as they get older, just may or pain. may not yeah. cause pain, but it can, and yeah. it can be a big, big deal. That thing can start slipping forward right across right across the lower back tattoo area. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> well, and then there's the other extreme of kids who are spending six hours in front of a computer at school and then they go home and they spend another five hours in video games or six hours and they're destroying their spine yeah not from overextending from being in the exact same sitting position for the entire day yeah no moving have you guys seen the ai generation of um what we're gonna all look like in 30 years no it's like this really horrible really yeah I, yeah. could, I think we're going to look back at this time and say, what were we doing to our spines in yeah. 30 years from now when we have new computers that aren't, you don't have to sit and stare at a screen like that. We're going to say, what were we thinking? Destroying all of our kids' spines for 20 straight years. Well, and I think people are looking for, um, just like a dentist, they're looking for a chiropractor to take care of their family and they just don't know where to go which would be Columbia Family Chiropractic, Forest Acres, or North Brickyard, Northeast, um, or O'Neill Court. But it, it for, from the standpoint of having essentially like you're a health coach, you're their, you're, the, you're their point of contact to determine this is a crisis, go to your you know, urgent care or uh, medical doctor, or it's just like, let's just keep you, your, you and your kids so freaking healthy like you do with your kids' teeth and your teeth at a dentist so that you never need dental surgery, right? 
Like that's always my thinking is like, yeah, I don't want to go to the next level of teeth people, (laughs) whatever that is beyond a dentist. I want the dentist for the rest of my life to just make sure it's the basics. If you end up screwing up your teeth and you're like, I'm at an oral surgeon now, Randy, oh, I've been everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yours were trauma and hockey and stuff, but, but those, those, that's where those, that's where it's like, if it's a crisis, yes. But if I could just continue that, that's what I think of chiropractic. That's what I think of family-based wellness chiropractic care. People just don't know that they should, or, or they do know. And they're like, I just don't know where to go because a lot of chiropractors aren't that, which is okay. Like a lot of chiropractors are the come in when your back hurts or your neck hurts and just get adjusted and leave. And, and that's okay too. But we're more building that culture and and framework to make sure that we're taking care of families and showing them how to grow healthy so they don't look like that. Oh, Brett just found the oh. AI photo of what everyone's going to look like. It's Yikes. called Mindy. And it Her looks like Mindy. a Yeah, it looks like a 90-year-old. Yeah. A current 90-year-old. I'm going to put a picture Posture. of that up in the office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she has a second oh, eyelid. I don't know why that's there. The, oh, it's because of all the screens that we look at. Really? We get two I eyelids? I think that's what it says. One to kind of Interesting. Oh, there it says Little adaptation. It says yeah. um, experts have created a model called Mindy that provides a glimpse of what we could look like in the year three thousand. Years of looking down at our smartphones or up at our computer screens will result in hunched posture. Our hands will be permanently molded into a claw shape from consistently gripping our smartphones. Yeah, I think. See, I disagree with that because I think all this stuff is going away. I think. In 20 years, we're not going to be looking at a screen. We're going to have sunglasses yeah, or it'll be glasses. implanted in our brain or something. Or whatever. Yep. yep. Neuralink. Yeah. yeah. Already, the glasses are already out there. Yeah. They're trying to, I mean, the Oculus is step one, which is like the virtual reality gaming mm-hmm. system, but it'll turn I heard something like it'll only be like travel will turn into only quote unquote rich people will physically travel to say Hawaii or wherever. The average person will just throw on their, like, it'll just be, they'll be there on their headset in their living room. Yes. And that'll be vacation for, you know. For the, a while until yes. people are like, this sucks. This yeah, sucks. Like, <laughs> but I, I, Joe Rogan talks about thinking there's going to be a time when you can actually see someone else's thoughts. That's terrifying. <laughs> so if someone was lying Yikes. to you, you would just know automatically. That Which, is wild. W- yeah. Imagine if you just had somebody cool. knowing what you were thinking yeah. as you were talking to them. You're like, I might as well not lie or pretend because <laughs> they could. already know. <laughs> right. But there's some weird stuff that pops into my right? head. Like that. <laughs> you'd like exactly. have to, you'd, you'd want to be by yourself all the time. <laughs> you'd be like, I can't even go out. Like, oh my God, I glanced at a, you know, cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. Gosh, well, darn it. And they know <laughs> or whatever, you know. <laughs> all right, back right. to uh, yeah. well. So, all right, so good. Babies getting assessed and kids getting assessed. Very straightforward. Very comfortable for for women, men, parents to get kids checked. How about a pregnant mom? Um, what is is there anything you do there? Because I know what they love is laying face down, especially when they get bigger. <laughs> and we have those nice special pillows that they get to yeah. lay face down. That's like a uh, luxury. <laughs> the pillows are awesome. Yeah, the cutouts in the middle, the belly just goes right in the middle of everything, and then they can lay face down. Mm-hmm. I've had a few moms tell me, that's all right, you can skip me. She's like, I just want to lay face down for a little while. <laughs> Take a break. Yeah. <laughs> and the assessment there, as far as adjusting and getting them checked, pretty much the same. We're still doing like checks. Yeah. We're still doing drops when it's necessary using the drop table. 
Uh, I'll use the activator if and when it's necessary. So the little clicker. Yes. Um, especially on, because we, with Webster Technique, we're also going to work on the front side. So we're talking, we're going to do. That's what I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, the um, round ligaments. Yep. So kind of in the belly area. Yeah, kind of like right underneath the belly button. And especially mm -hmm. as mom's belly gets bigger, sometimes it can become more of an issue. And then there's also a pubic bone adjustment, which I use the activator for. Interesting. Yep. And then the psoas muscle release. That doesn't sound fun. It's It depends on the person. <laughs> you got like the front part of your pelvis, the, yeah. the big hip, like when you put your hands on your hips, the yep. part in the that front. crease. Yep. I kind of dig inside of that. And then I bring the leg up and just do some gentle leg circles yeah. just to, as a active release yes. of that muscle. And that it just helps balance everything out so that they're able to, a lot of women get up and say, oh yeah, that feels weird. I'm walking different or baby really moved after that last adjustment. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And then the last question I had just for uh, the audience was internal inside the mouth mm -hmm. adjusting, which is something that is rare. I'm, and, and honestly, I don't know if anybody else in Columbia that I'm aware of that does it. So it's really awesome that we have that at Columbia Family Chiropractic and that you provide that service. Um, I know my wife's had it done and it's great for sinus stuff. And can you talk people through that and how clean your hands are? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, because I'm working inside the mouth, I clip my nails almost every single I day. Noticed, yeah, I noticed you had <laughs> fingernail clippers at the clinic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like, I see people that get their nails done. I'm like, ugh, yeah, I can't, can't do it. I can't, can't do it. But so basically the very first assessment I do is what's called sphenobasilar. In other words, every time you breathe, your skull bones should move in a certain direction. And I think that's also a big myth for coming from medical doctors. I had someone tell me, they came in, they're like, oh, my medical doctor said you shouldn't do cranial work on me because those bones are fused. <laughs> if they were fused, we wouldn't be able to breathe. Right. They're still open. They're, right. They move a little bit. They're a joint. I mean, yeah. in an anatomical book, you, it's a joint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and I mean, there there's some move, motion yes. that we can get out of it. So um, Mythbuster. So checking, I, basically, I'm just checking for, is that motion happening throughout the skull? And equally. Equally yeah. on both sides. And then I'm feeling for what's called CSF pulsations. So cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, is the blood flow of the nervous system. <laughs> It supplies your brain with nutrients, eliminates the toxins from metabolic processes that are happening in the brain. So making sure that that's flowing too. So like people that have like, oh, you know, like I have headaches all the time or brain fog, I'm going to check sphenobasilar. Um, so first thing I do is measure that. And then from there, it kind of depends on what the person has going on. Right. And I don't want to say it's chasing symptoms, but knowing what's yeah, going on really, find. really helps. Right. Yep. And then there's a couple different assessments. Um, the biggest one that involves internal is checking for the uh, sphenoid bone. So great big butterfly-shaped bone. It articulates with almost every single bone in the skull. Sits kind of behind the nose and eyes. Yeah. yeah actually, right here. Or like the wings this of This tiny right? little bit is part of the sphenoid bone. So she's pointing to the outer part of her eye yeah. ball. What's yeah. this temple? That's your temple. Temple, I think. I guess. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty much, yeah, right there. Um, there's contact points inside the mouth to, and I'm 
contacting that sphenoid bone from inside the mouth. And you hold, is it like a, you're holding pressure in yeah. an area that needs to move and while you're having them breathe, is that kind of how that? Yeah, they, they can just continue to breathe. And a lot of times I just feel a, a nice release or yeah. a gentle release. Sometimes it's very sudden. That was fun. Like a clunk, Not almost a, like an adjust, like a, a vertebral adjustment. I've never had anything clunk. Oh, okay. Um, actually, Sam, I had this happen with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I was working on her jaw a little bit and her sphenoid and something like it was so tight. I was like, do you grind your teeth at night? Like, what the heck? And I like all of a sudden it just went whoosh yeah. and it was gone. I yeah. was like, what the heck? That was really cool. I'm still fascinated by this stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, roof of the mouth. That's a big one, too. And especially with babies that are having trouble breastfeeding, that can be yes. a factor. So I want to assess the roof of the mouth. And with adults versus babies, it's a very different pressure. You sure. think adults have been had this head shape for a very, very long time. Babies, their skulls are very, very moldable yet. Nice. And so what would be some of the things that people would come in just symptoms wise that you would, that, that would make you want to look at that area Would like snoring and you mentioned teeth grinding, um, allergies, sinus issues, chronic sinus issues. I actually had someone come in because their ears were ringing. Ear, oh yeah. Ringing and ears. we did a bunch of cranial work and she said it was virtually gone. There was still just a tiny little bit Wow. from like working in an operating room and yeah. that kind of thing, but it was virtually gone. Is that an area like, so kids get in ear tubes because yeah. that was Randy's story. Yeah. Avoiding ear avoiding infections. It. Yeah. 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 Avoiding ear tubes. Yep. That is something that we, that I, if baby's having or getting an ear infection, I want to see that baby. Right away. Yeah. Right away. I want to see them a couple days in a row just to make sure that we stop that thing in its tracks. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. This is great. So tell everyone. Um, you're, or I guess you're at Forest Acres location. You're kind of by the Trader Joe's and St. Julian Place. St. Julian Place. Yep. Middleburg Plaza area. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say you, you, you sound super smart. Like, why'd you pick chiropractic as a profession? <laughs> no, I just had to Thanks. throw that out. I've, I've, somebody <laughs> said that to me before. I'm like... Yeah. That's why I am a chiropractor because I'm really smart. What do you mean? <laughs> right? Um, Trusting the the body. Right. Uh, yeah. I love helping people. Yeah. It's un it, I like I was saying the other day, it just blows me away. I like I feel like chiropractic's like it's like still a little bit of a secret. Like, yeah. like we have the tools to radically change healthcare. And we're just trying to deliver it and teach people about it. And it's like it's still a process. But yeah. I wish it fun. wasn't. I love it. I know. I wish soon. soon. Wish it was easier. I, you know, it's still kind of nice being like cutting it or like. It's like chasing the hot like, girl. Yeah. Well, but you're know. the dork. I would say <laughs> elite, elite, but. Yes. <laughs> we're the elite of the Someday. elite. Someday. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. Here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it.